It is time for us to begin. Welcome to everyone this evening. Um, glad to have you with us. Our first song is going to be number 17. All people that on earth do dwell. We'll sing all four verses of those of that song um, at the appropriate time. Uh, Joe Robinson is going to have our reading and prayer, and Dwight Dunford will have our closing prayer. So let's sing this song. Let's stand while we sing. All people Song is number 57. 57. <clears throat> and another short song. We'll sing all four verses here. Awake and sing the song. Good evening. Our uh, reading this evening will come from James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee, free, uh, flee from you. 
Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come in your house and uh, lift your name up and praise you and uh, study your word. We pray that uh, you'll open our hearts this evening that we might receive um, your message, that uh, we might apply it to our lives and use it in the coming days and weeks ahead to share our faith with uh, other people. We pray for Israel, Father, that uh, you might uh, give them uh, comfort and assurance that uh, you might guide their uh, decisions in the coming days and weeks ahead, and that you would uh, also protect them, Father. We pray for the ones that are on our uh, list of uh, sick, that uh, you might uh, be with each one, that you would uh, be with their doctors and give them wisdom on how to treat each one, and that you would heal each one, that uh, they might... Uh, recover and uh, come back to us. We pray for this country, Father, that uh, you would uh, humble us and uh, just uh, let us know that uh, you're uh, uh, just waiting for us to uh, uh, bend our knees to you and uh, just worship you and uh, just come back to you. For this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Song of invitation would be number 69, no, 67, excuse me, 67. And before the lesson, we'll ask you to stand to sing again, if it's convenient for you. We're going to sing uh, 169. Show of hands how many people have sung this before. Good enough. I didn't want to have to sing the alto solo by myself. So the lead. <clears throat> when all my labors
Good evening. Tonight, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of uh, sheet sermons. That they used to be big in the 60s, 70s, and before. They were kind of like a precursor to PowerPoint, how preachers back in the day used to, uh, used to show illustrations and keep the congregation kind of uh, in tune with what was going on uh, in their heads um, before PowerPoint was going on. So tonight, I, I've inherited several of these, and so I found one that I thought would be uh, really beneficial for us. And so I'm going to present that tonight, but I'm going to do it from the floor. So if you're watching online, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't think about what that would look like to you before uh, we got here tonight, but um, maybe we can come up with something before next time this happens. But I'm going to present it on the floor, and I'm doing that because if I put it on the floor, all you can see is here <laughs> of me. That looks weird. Um, and if you can't, if I put it up here, you can't see the PowerPoint. So I'm going to preach from the floor tonight. And um, again, sorry to those of you that are watching at home, but. Uh, let me grab my sheet, and we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Give me just a second. When we get in there, right in front of the pulpit, yeah. And then we're going to lift it up using these little, using these little things. I've actually never even seen a sheet sermon presented before. It's backwards, yeah. <laughs> so the first one I get to see presented is mine, and <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, I'm going to lift it up a little bit. Down here at the bottom, I think, is the one we're looking for, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe it is this one. Yeah. Yeah. You guys see that in the back, it needs to go up a little bit more. Couldn't hurt to do one more. Yeah. It'd be farther than I can go. <laughs> How about that? That's cool. All right. Do what? Oh, yeah. The lectern would be great. Um, so... Over the last couple of years, I've kind of become a student of preaching. It seems like the thing to do <laughs> in my position. Uh, so I've read several books and, and done a little bit of history work over the history of preaching. I've become enchanted uh, with some of the things uh, that our brethren used to do back in the day that we don't do anymore. Um, and some of it's just um, happenstance. You know, we, we don't do this anymore because uh, we have technology now that will allow us to do the things that we want to do. Ironically, as I say that, my technology is malfunctioning. There we go. Um, so I'm lacking the sheet more and more as we talk. But um, I really have become um, enamored, I guess, with some of these um, old-style ways of, of doing things, of preaching. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to give a nod to that as well as uh, to this ever-important topic. Like I said this morning, uh, this is kind of a part B to our, our, to our, our thoughts this morning. Um, you're familiar, I'm sure, with Paul Harvey's uh, If I Were the Devil from back in the day. Some of this uh, will echo, um, strangely, his, his thoughts. And I'm just betting this was written before uh, Paul Harvey uh, did his bit in, in the mid-60s. Uh, in the Bulletin article, I noted uh, that C.S. Lewis uh, is probably the first one Famously, uh, that has kind of come up with this idea in, the, in his screw tape letters. He pictures a, uh, a demon uh, that is, um, it's his job to tempt this one particular person. Scripture doesn't tell us uh, how all that works, whether you have a, a particular demon that's supposed to tempt you. I, I don't know. Scripture isn't clear there. He doesn't ever even talks about it. But we know that we're tempted, and we know that Satan plays a part in that. And James tells us that we're drawn away by our own desires. And so we play a part in that, and Satan plays a part in that, and we work together to completely destroy us, don't we? Um, but uh, in, in C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, <clears throat> he pictures this, this, this demon um, that has been entrusted with uh, taking down this one, one guy. And he keeps writing back to his, his uncle, who's a higher level demon, and he's giving him advice on what he would do. And it's, it's strikingly similar uh, to this as well. <coughs> so, 
I were the devil, what would I do? Well, first thing I would do is I would change my appearance. Can you see the PowerPoint back there? You probably can't, can you? Ha! Joke on me. Oh, I can see it just fine. Okay, so uh, if I were the devil, I would change my appearance. Um, the, the text is actually a misquote on the, on the sheet. It's supposed to be 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. Uh, so if you're, if you're taking notes, taking pictures, note that difference. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 14. It's a passage where Paul says Satan parades himself around like an angel of light. We don't talk about that very much. We've, we've talked a lot in the, in the past, especially recently, uh, about First, uh, First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, how he prowls around like a roaring lion. But we don't often think of him parading himself around as an angel of light. A couple years ago, um, when we go back to Tennessee for Thanksgiving and Christmas, especially on Kelly's side of the family, they like to play games. Um, board games and card games and all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's one of the, my favorite parts of Christmas and Thanksgiving, honestly, is just getting together with family and enjoying those games and time together. I love games. Uh, so if you've never played a game with me, I'm super competitive with those things. And anyhow, uh, her brother brings out this, this game. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the, it's the gross jelly bean game. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever played that game? Gross jelly bean game. And so they'll have ones that are like pineapple. They'll have ones that are like coconut. They also have ones that are barf and, and uh, grass. Um, they have some that are, hold on, I, I wrote these down so that I wouldn't forget what the, some of these weird ones were. Earthworm. They have earthworm flavored jelly beans. Who knows what an earthworm tastes like and why do you know that? Um, so anyhow, we're playing that game and people are, it's kind of funny, people would, would look at it and you can't tell the booger jelly bean apart from the pineapple jelly bean. So you're like, you're looking at them, they look exactly the same. Um, and then we would sniff them, you know. Smells the same, both of them smell exactly the same. You can't tell the difference between the good jelly bean and the bad jelly bean until you pop it in your mouth and crunch it. And then you, ah, oh, <laughs> or, ah, oh, not bad. It's changed its appearance, right? It's part of the game, it's part of the deal to make the game fun, but Satan does this, and it's not so much fun, is it? Because if he were to appear to us like this, nobody buys into what he's selling, right? Everybody says, I'm staying away from you. You're obviously dangerous. If you look like this, you've got horns, and you're red all over, and you're carrying a pitchfork, you know, you're obviously dangerous. And so he doesn't dress up like that. He doesn't, he doesn't show himself to us like that. He, he prays himself like, a, like an angel of light. If I were Satan, I would change my appearance so that you bought into what I was trying to sell. Not a, not, not a, not an, a genius remark there, right? You can't pray, parade around look, looking like that and get people to buy into what you're selling. But if you looked nice, if you looked comfortable, if you looked pleasurable, then yeah, sure. It starts getting a little bit more um, believable that I would buy into that. If I were the devil, I would also show pleasure in sin. Uh, if you think about Hebrews, flip over to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. The Hebrew writer says, It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of the fleeting pleasures of sin. You need to underline fleeting pleasures of sin. We don't think about sin like that very often, do we? It's, it's gone so fast, right? The pleasure that we feel in sin, how fast does, how long does that last? Man, it's gone. Almost within the snap of a finger, isn't it? Doesn't last very long. You're tempted and you give in to that sin and you feel the pleasure of it. Man. Just, just about as quick as you can snap your fingers or bat your eyes, that pleasure is gone and all that's left is what? Death, destruction, and pain. Guilt, sin, it's all that's left. That's not the way he portrays it. He portrays it as, oh, this will make you feel good. This is what you need. It's a lie, isn't it? In Matthew chapter 5, you know this, this passage. I know you know this passage, but Matthew 5, 3 through 12, 
he talks through the Beatitudes. This is the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he says, you want to know what real pleasure looks like? You follow this way of life. You don't buy into the fleeting pleasures of sin because literally within seconds, that pleasure that you once experienced is gone. And all you're left with is guilt and decay, death, pain, the destruction that sin brings. That's all that you're left with. But if you want to live a truly pleasurable life, you follow the fruits of the Spirit, right? You follow what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 3 through 12. You follow the virtues that Peter uh, enunciates in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, right? You add to these things, this and this and this and this. If you want to lead a really pleasurable life, a really enjoyable life, one that doesn't ever stop, one that not only doesn't stop very quickly, like the pleasures of sin will, but one that will continue on even past this life. One that will give you joy in the midst of pain. One that will give you contentment in your heart when there's only tears on your face. That kind of life, that kind of pleasure is only found in this style, this lifestyle that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 5. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never get into, the, into heaven. Our righteousness is going to have to exceed that of this world. You think about what he, what he says here. He starts off with, we don't, we don't have time to go through each one of these, but you need to go through each one of these thoughts in Matthew chapter 5, 3 through 12. But you think about the humble people in your life. Aren't they a treasure to you? We deal with a lot of prideful people. Aren't, aren't the humble people a refreshing light? Ones that are genuinely interested in you more even than they are in themselves? Isn't it a joy to have a conversation with somebody like that? Isn't it a joy to live with somebody like that? It's beautiful, right? When you enjoy that type of relationship with someone, you begin to feel the pleasure that is only found in this life. You skip down a couple of verses and he talks about those who are meek, who have their power under control. Weak, meekness is, it, it rhymes with weakness, but it's not weakness. It's, it's, it's strength, but it's under control. It's not, um, it's not just strength for strength's sake. It's not just, just, just power, um, raw power. It, it's strength or power, but it's been submitted to something. It's, been, it's now under control. But they don't have to deal with all the fallout from their words. These meek people don't. Because they've learned to control their tongue. Not every thought that enters their mind exits their lips. Isn't it a joy to be around people like that? Don't you derive pleasure from people like that? Certainly. Certainly we do. To be able to stop yourself from saying the wrong thing, even if it is at the right time, it's invaluable, isn't it? Peacemakers who find ways to unify people, but even more importantly, the people who love to unify people with God. Those people are invaluable to us. They find joy in every single conversation they have. If I were Satan, I would be trying to steer you away from that kind of lifestyle. And I'd start teaching you about all the variety of pleasures that sin could give you. But you know that it's just a trap door. And underneath that trap door is just a bunch of spikes. If I were the devil, I would, I would establish a lot of different churches. Um, listen to what he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Man, that's harsh, isn't it? A lot of the letters to the churches, like we've been studying in our Bible class a couple weeks ago, he does not mince words with these folks. If you hurt his church, you're a synagogue of Satan. 
This is a reference to the people he's been in covenant with for the last 1,500 years. He's talking about the Jewish people, right? Synagogue of Satan. It's directed harshly, specifically directed at the Jewish people. He has loved them from, obviously, from the beginning of time. But for the last 1,500 years, they've been his people, but no longer. Because now, they've been the ones who have been torturing and hurting, um, embarrassing, tempting his church, his new people. They've stopped listening to him and were currently perverting his church. Now they were only going to be trodden underfoot. And that's what happened. All they're doing is distracting God's people from God's work. While I know there are well-meaning, sincere, devout people in, in the denominational world, and you know them as well as I know them, I believe that they are, have good hearts and, and, and love the Lord and mean well. But Satan has used these man-made churches as a distraction for God's one true church. A couple weeks ago, we got to go to uh, Lake Vesuvius, uh, a family camping trip. It was a lot of fun, um, but we got to play in Lake Vesuvius. I don't know if you've ever been. You should go. It's pretty fun. Um, but Hannah, who is notorious in our family for finding uh, treasures wherever we go, she can find a treasure uh, anywhere, uh, and, and I value that in her so much to be able to see beauty in, in the mundane. It's special. Um, but she has found a, a crog tog or a croc tog. I don't know how you say that. The little things that go on your crocs. Sometimes they're animals. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? She's found one of those. It's in the water. She found it in the water in Lake Vesuvius. She picks it up. She's like, hey, look at this one. Look what I found. And she entrusts me to keep it safe. Bad idea. <laughs> I put it in my pocket with my phone. And when I pull my phone out to take videos of them, because I'm going to remember this moment forever, right? I pull this, my phone out to take pictures of them, and unbeknownst to me, I lose it. I drop it in the water. And so she, when she comes up, she's like, hey, I want to show that to one of my friends. Can I, can I have it? And I was like, yeah, sure. Oh, no. <laughs> Panic sets in. And I say, I, I've lost it, babe. And so we spend, this is a true story, we spend the next hour or so looking around the waters of Lake Vesuvius trying to find it. And my big feet, and I'm stumbling around. And you know what I'm doing? I'm muddy in the waters, and I can't see anything. I can't see the bottom of the, the, the lake at all, and there's people around me. There's kids playing and stuff. They were so insensitive that they wouldn't help me find this thing that I needed to find for Hannah, and they were still playing, and they were muddying the waters, and I was muddying the waters, and it was awfully hard to find. She found it. That's the way the story ends, um, but she found it, so it's okay, but um, I was muddying the waters to the extent that I couldn't find it. That's what the denominational world's done. That's what Satan's done through it. People, especially today, post-COVID, I know you've noticed this, um, people post-COVID are, are looking for God. They're looking for the one true church. But there's so many denominations out there. Satan's so muddied the waters that they're having trouble finding us. If I were Satan, I'd keep on establishing churches. There's over 38,000 of them now, and they're just going to continue going because it's what works. We need to protect the one true church. If I were the devil, I would pervert the gospel. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, uh, Paul condemns the Galatians because they have so quickly abandoned the gospel that they once knew that they were converted to. Listen to his words in verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we are an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. You've got a variety of people believing a variety of things that have zero substance in the Bible. You've, you've probably talked to those people, haven't you? I, 
I have, where they will come up and they'll say, well, I've got a Bible question. And their question has zero to do with the Bible because they're, they're so caught up in this, this world that someone has made up for them um, that they think that this is a Bible question. And it doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. Um, they're, not, they're not misinterpreting verses. They're making up verses. Or maybe they've even discounted the Bible completely and subscribed to a different book claiming inspiration. On the other side, they've got Galatians, or Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So on the other side of, of this argument, you've got those who are claiming to be Christians whose life denies that fact. You don't see them very often at worship services. You don't see any control that God might have over them. They, they, haven't, been, they haven't become meek. They're, they're not humble. Their tongue betrays them. Their heart betrays them. There's no, there's no study. There's no prayer life. They claim to be of Christ, but their life says something different. Their life tells the truth. They've experienced no transformation. And the only way you know that they're a Christian is you notice them pulling into the parking lot on Sundays. Any gospel that says that type of life is that type of lifestyle is okay and acceptable to God would be the worst type of perversion. That's exactly what Satan's done, hasn't he? You go pick the church of your choice. You go do whatever you want. You don't have to be devoted. You don't have to be completely sold out for them. You don't have to be wholeheartedly following them. Just a little bit's okay. Well, just go once a month. Okay, you can go to church, but you don't need to read your Bible. There's no sense in being generous with people. There's no sense in being kind. Don't, you listen to the Bible, but you don't have to allow it to change you. That's what he's been selling for long enough that you look around and what do you see? The fruits of that kind of thinking. He's already perverted the gospel. We're trying to swim upstream. We've got to swim harder. If I were the devil, I would disrupt the brethren. Um, back in the early 2000s, some of you probably remember this, uh, when Kobe and Shaq were on the same team, I think all of us that were following basketball back then thought, oh, man, we've got a brand new dynasty. This is like the Bulls in the mid-90s all over again, right? These guys are going to be unstoppable. They're two of the best players in the league on the exact same team. They're not going to be able to be stopped. And they weren't, right? From 2000 to 2002, I think they won like three championships. And then what happens? In 2004, Shaq leaves. You know why? Because he and Kobe can't get along. <laughs> they don't win another championship for four years. If I were the devil, I would disrupt the brethren. I would try to split the church. I would get you to gossip and slander against each other. I'd get you to talk bad about each other. I'd get you to tear each other down. Every time that happens, that's from Satan. Listen to what he says in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, a feet, <clears throat> feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies and don't miss it, one who sows discord among brothers. God hates that. He can't stand it. It's not only sinful, it's on this short list of things that the Bible says he hates. There's not a lot of things in the Bible that he's going to say that he hates, but here's six of them, seven of them. Every time we try to tear each other down, that's Satan whispering in our ears. They're doing his work, not the Lord's. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, Paul says this to, to his young protege. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. Gossip only tears us down. It doesn't ever make anybody better. We need to be busy about the Lord's work, not busy trying to figure out what's going on with our neighbors. That's what Paul would tell the Thessalonians, too. Some of them had 
had stopped working and had started working on their neighbors. Had started trying to figure out what was going on. Paul says, that's, that's just that's Satan in your ear trying to convince you to do what he would have you to do. If I were Satan, that's exactly what I would do. Think of the Beatles, right? For you guys that are older, maybe the Lakers didn't hit home. Think of the Beatles. They had a promising, like, obviously had a promising career. But what could they have done? How many albums could they have put up had they not split? Every time we backbite against each other, every time we tear each other down, that's Satan working. That's what I would do if I was the devil. If I were the devil, I'd also make sin respectable. Check out what he does in, in Exodus chapter 23. While you're turning there, I'll tell you a story um, about Bernie Madoff. You guys remember Bernie Madoff? Yeah. Uh, he is, or was, um, a Wall Street success story, right? <coughs> Everybody wanted to be in this guy's um, portfolio. They wanted him to be their guy, taking care of their finances and stuff, right? Who would have thought that that kind of guy with that much respect nationally, worldwide respect, who would have thought that he'd be running a Ponzi scheme? Nobody. That's why he got away with it for so long. If I were the devil, I'd make sin respectable. I'd, I'd put on a good gloss on it, just like Bernie Madoff had that good gloss, the respectable reputation. I'd make sin respectable. Listen to what he says in Exodus 23, verse 2. You shall not fall in with the many to do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice. My mom would say it like this, if everyone's jumping off a cliff, are you going to go jump off a cliff too? Like just because everybody around you is doing evil doesn't mean you have to do evil. And in fact, it means you need to be going the other direction. You need to be the voice of righteousness, of caution, of godliness. Just because sin looks like it's respectable. Doesn't mean it is. It's still out of line, out of step with who God would have us to be. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is not an option. This is not a good thing to do. This is a requirement. You stay away from sin. With everything you've got. Don't see how close you can get to the line. Don't play with it like we, like we saw this morning. In James chapter 4 uh, verse 7. He will, do you remember the verse? He will flee from you if you, what? If you resist him. He'll run from you. He'll leave you alone. This is not a lifetime requirement that he's always on your back like he is right now. He's on your back right now because you haven't been resisting him. That's truth. He's on your back right now because you have not been resisting him. You start fighting against him and he will run away from you. It may take a while, depending on how deep into this sin you are. It may take a year. It may take two years. But you start fighting him, he will run from you. If I were the devil, I'd make sin respectable. I'd make you buy into it. I'd make you think it was a good thing. I'd make you think it was a virtue. That's exactly what he's done, hasn't it? You're not greedy right? You're living the American dream. That hits home, doesn't it? You're not an adulterer. You're doing what makes you happy. You're not a liar. You're telling your truth. He's made all these things respectable. God still calls them sin. They're still going to be condemned. If I were the devil, the last thing I, would, I think I would do is I would disrupt the home. 
when the Pharisees accused Jesus of, of uh, casting out demons. Do you remember the story? And they, they ha- They're having trouble figuring out exactly how he gets the power to do this. Because there's no way he, the Father's given him this power. They, they just can't believe that. It cannot be coming from Yahweh. So where did he get this power from? Well, this power only comes from one or two places. It either comes from Yahweh or it comes from Satan. So it can't come from Yahweh. So he must be casting out demons by the power of Satan, right? So I, I would have loved to have seen Jesus' face. But I think in my mind he just kind of crosses his arms and, and, and sits back and says, well, Tell me how that works. If Satan's casting out his own demons, wouldn't Satan be... His kingdom be overturned? That doesn't make any sense. He's doing himself harm, right? If I were Satan, I'd want to throw as many monkey wrenches in the home as possible. And he certainly has, hasn't he? He's disrupted um, our home. The whole point of the family is to get each other to heaven. So when we struggle with that, it's like a house divided. We're fighting when we should be striving towards the same goal. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 5. You know these verses as well. I know you do. But Wives, submit to your own husbands. That's the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to you, should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. When we work that method, you know what happens? We flourish. And when we ignore his commands, you know what happens? We disintegrate. It falls apart. You don't have to do a whole lot of study on, uh, on marriage uh, in, in American um, history or American society today to find out that that's the truth. When we work this plan, when we do what God has said, it works. And when we ignore it, we do so to our own detriment. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 6 when he's speaking about the home still. It's in the same context. He, he, he's, he's hitting the marriage relationship first, and then he, he talks to the parents and the children. Children, obey your parents to the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. This is another thing that when we work it, it works. And when we ignore it, we fail. If I were Satan, I would continue doing exactly what I've been doing. I would certainly disrupt the home. I would throw every monkey wrench I can think of because the church's job is to encourage you, right? To build you up, to push you on into greatness. But the family is a microcosm of the church. If your family's struggling, the church is struggling too. First thing I would do is disrupt the home. If I were the devil. Tonight, if you're struggling, we want to aid you in any way we can. I hope this lesson's been helpful for you as you think about um, the, the, the designs that Satan has on you. He wants you. And he doesn't want to play with you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to cause you pain. But it doesn't have to be like that. You can get away from him. You can flee from him. But you need... a a defense. You need someone to stand in between you and him and not allow him to attack. That's Jesus. You, you can't do this on your own. You need him to stand in between you and Satan and you and your desires and give you something to fight for. So tonight, if you're looking for something to fight for, he's got a whole kingdom that he's willing to have you fight for. Entrusted in jars of clay, he wants you to be one of his children to hold you in the palm of his hands, to protect you. Tonight, if you need to be baptized, to have your sins washed away, if you just need the prayers of this congregation to be everything that God would have you to be, why won't you come as we stand and sing?
Good evening, church family. I was really hoping to do announcements behind the curtain. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> updates on our food pantry. Uh, we're still needing uh, a lot of things. If you can help out with that, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, uh, there's a list in the bulletin, uh, in Rome Journal and the bulletin board, but uh, we're still needing a lot of uh, items for that. Uh, ladies, do not forget to sign up for the Millers tomorrow um, for their bonfire and hot dog roast. Um, so don't forget to sign up before you leave so that way they know how many people are coming. Um, also, this Saturday is a youth group. Uh, we'll be headed to Cooper Family Farm in Corn Maze. Uh, the bus will leave at 1.15. It costs $8 for each child, and if your child's under three, they are free, and this event is for sixth grade and younger. Um, also, next Tuesday's Young at Heart, uh, we'll be meeting here at 1030 and we're heading to Casa Grande. Um, also, uh, Life Group 3, that's Jeremy's Life Group on October the 21st, uh, that there will be a bonfire at uh, Joe and Sandy's house um, at 5.30. Also, Sunday, October 22nd, will be the youth-led service at Pleasant Ridge Church of Christ, and their service starts at 10 o'clock. Remember to continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers. He has an appointment tomorrow, uh, so keep him in your prayers. Keep Jim Haney in your prayers and Tanya Chamblin and um, Jim Martin in your prayers as they continue with their cancer treatments. Keep uh, Judy Jordan in your prayers, John Klein and Carolyn Lynn in your prayers. And also remember continue to keep Roger and uh, Peg Pryor in your prayers and Charlie and Alice Boso in your prayers. That's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. Uh, we'll sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Sing the first and last verses of number 119. go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful this day, Lord, that we can assemble before thee and, and worship you in truth and in spirit. We're thankful, Lord, for those that present the lesson today, the, the study we had in, in Sunday school this morning and, and Chris's lessons this morning and tonight. We're thankful, Lord, for those visitors that worship with us we're thankful for each and every one here, Lord, that knows you and, and believes your word and practices, Lord, the word that you have given us. Lord, we ask you to be with those that are on our prayer list, the many names that were read and those that we know and love, Lord, that we trust you, Lord, to answer the prayers as they are needed for each and every one. 
We ask you, Lord, this, this evening to go with us to our homes and help us throughout the week until we assemble back together, Lord, that we take your word with us and, and we present your word and your love to those of the world that may not know you, Lord. Help us to be the Christians that you would have us to be. And when we fail, we ask you, Lord, to forgive us for our failures. We're thankful for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and remembering him today in our service. We, we ask you, Lord, to just help us and strengthen us each and every day. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>